Hello everyone, and welcome to the Quorum Podcast. This is where academic medicine meets remote, austere, and resource-limited areas. Welcome back to the program. This is Averill Kelly. Today I am with Dr. Winston DeMello. Winston is one of the founders of the college. He, he was one of the four that started and he is a pain specialist. Good morning, Winston. How are things? Very well. Um, I'm glad to be on this podcast. You've talked about pain before and today we're going to revisit pain and have, have an update of pain. So what's changed lately in the definition of pain? Well, it's uh, you know it's very difficult to define what what pain is because it's very an, uh, very much an individual experience. But if you go uh, to the ISP uh, definition from 1979, it defined pain as an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage, or described in terms of such damage. That was the original definition. Uh, Raj and colleagues in 2020 then redefined it, and it's just a couple of uh, nuances uh, of a couple of words. They defined it as an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with or resembling. So they've changed the potential to resembling that associated with actual or potential tissue damage. And that becomes obvious when we talk uh, later on in this podcast, the taxonomy of pain. So there are a whole bunch of different ways of, of classifying pain, calling pain, what and, and labeling pain. What What's the latest update on that? Okay, so uh, the question is, why did they redefine it in 2020? Uh, and the reason for this is sixfold. First, yep. pain is always a personal experience, and it's influenced to a varying degree by biological, psychological, and social factors. So that really uh, forms the basis of the biopsychosocial model. Second, pain and nociception are really two different things. You cannot just infer that pain is uh, uh, is occurring just because the sensory nerves are activated. So the, the difference between pain and nociception is nociception is the uh, is the sort of final uh, assessment by the brain or the higher centers uh, to make uh, to convert a sensory input into that huge, uh, complex uh, biopsychosocial uh, pain experience. Thirdly, um, throughout your life, uh, you learn the concept of pain. You know what is good, what is bad, what is potentially dangerous, uh, and what makes things better, like uh, rubbing uh, uh, an area of the body that just that just been struck. Fourthly, Every person's report of a pain, of an experience as a pain problem should be respected. In other words, if you're assessing a child, you're assessing a geriatric patient with dementia, uh, they may not be able to verbalize or explain uh, what is going on. So the default position is moved to the assessor in taking a, 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 a perhaps a more broader holistic approach to the pains, uh, the, the pain report from the patient. Fifth, although pain serves like to, uh, as an adaptive role, it has a huge impact on social function and psychological well-being. And I think this is where pain, acute pain, uh, uh, people who work in the acute pain world need to sort of uh, realize that what happens acutely 
has massive effect on function, social, and psychological well-being. And then the final reason is the verbal description uh, is only one of several behaviors to express the patient's pain. So the inability to communicate does not mean that the the, the patient uh, is is not or is uh, is experiencing pain. So you need to look at surrogate evidence. Of pain, and for those of us who've worked in in um, uh, on our own, um, it is obvious it is obvious that um, surrogate measures like the vital signs may, uh, and uh, behavior might be a secondary indicator of being in pain. So the, there's a profound difference in childhood experiences in pain and adult uh, experiences in pain. Is there a link between uh, childhood experiences and, and compared to adult? And, and how is that defined by the World Health Organization? Well, the, the, this was a, a very interesting um, uh, discovery on my part. I only discovered this very late in, in my career. But the WHO uh, published a paper on adverse childhood experiences, and we call them ACEs for short. And what they discovered was from the time you're born, you discover, uh, you, you experience uh, various experiences, some of which are very adverse. But what they were more concerned about was that these experiences invo- uh, involve social, emotional and cognitive impairment, adoption of health risk behaviors like alcohol, drug taking, uh, a higher propensity for disease, disability, and social problems, uh, uh, and socialization. And what was really sad was the uh, predictor that if you had uh, several of these ACEs, at least four of these ACEs, you died early. So the morbidity and mortality to a patient uh, along their journey, if they are in pain, ACEs complicate things. So you've got to be aware as to the background of the patient, what is going on in the life of the patient, to be able to individualize a, um, a, 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 in, a individual therapy or tailor-made therapy for that individual patient. For example, if you're a football player and if you have an ankle injury, that ankle injury may not be a big injury in terms of the surgical uh, impact but it may have a huge impact on the future employment of the patient as a footballer and perhaps uh, worries about uh, what, what this injury means to them. So it's the meaning of the pain that dictates the impact it has on the, uh, on the total um, uh, pain experience, which is really what, uh, what we refer to as the biopsychosocial and even sometimes spiritual phenomenon. So as paramedics... We, we try to assess pain from our casualty, and other than having a verbal 1 to 10, uh, that we use the, 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 the VAS, the Visual Acuity Score. Is that too simplistic for us? Or do we need to dive deeper into assessing pain? Well, I think uh, for, for an acute pain um, uh, uh, situation, I think it, it serves a purpose of trying to quantify what is a subjective experience in terms of an objective uh, uh, numeral or verbal score. So uh, I think in the, in the short term, for an acute pain problem, there will be an obvious tissue injury. It may be mild to severe. The intensity is usually related to the injury. There's a predictable trajectory of where the, the uh, pain journey is going to go. And 
majority of the time, the treatments are usually effective. So that's the good side. But you are also going to meet patients who've got a chronic pain background, who've now got an acute episode, either related to the chronic uh, pain background or a new acute pain problem. And I think that's where the challenge comes. And that is why I think it is important when you're taking a history from a patient acutely, um, you also inquire about the previous medical history, which includes the previous pain history. So in other words, have they had previous back pain or headaches or joint pains, you know, or just a simple question. Uh, have you suffered from pain anywhere in your body on a regular basis or irregular or intermittent basis over the last few years? So that will flush out uh, or, or what is going on because that will lead to, uh, again, being aware along that patient's journey, you're meeting them, and maybe then you can triage these patients into discharge or perhaps a follow-up by the general practitioner or family doctor or even uh, on rarer cases into secondary care. So I do think you should be aware that all acute pain is not just acute on its own. It could be an acute exacerbation of a chronic pain problem, or it, uh, even worse, it could be part of a more complex problem. So the chronic pain is where there is no obvious pathology, usually severe, intensely unrelated to injury, unpredictable trajectory, huge impact on sleep and function, difficult to treat, and it, it, it just destroys the patient. Now, we all can see that when we deal with these patients, but we don't actually document it. So I think uh, the, my, my practical point is, yes, sure, treat the acute phase uh, as we've done before, using the VAS, for example, and a 0 to 10 or 0 to 100 uh, scoring system, but also be aware of other psychosocial economic factors uh, that are, are around. And uh, our uh, paramedics are unlikely to meet complex patients because these are usually heart-sick patients which tend to rotate around different uh, specialists, uh, you know, with uh, ever-lengthening uh, of uh, notes, uh, poor therapeutic relationships, and actually no collaboration between the patient and the practitioner. So I think as long as one is aware that acute pain is just the more easy uh, bit of the uh, the pain uh, spectrum, uh, I, I think then you're doing your patient a great service. That, that's a good statement. And as paramedics, we're good at acute pain. We're not very good at chronic pain. And, and, and we always ask our patients past medical history. I never thought to ask what was their pain score on their past pain. That's a really good point, Winston. And, and I think, uh, Ibrick, you're right. Now that you've realized that, you, you, probably, you were probably doing it, but you weren't specific enough to sort of say, do you have any past pain problems? So it's not just the past medical history. I, I, I want our practitioners to go more specifically onto the pain previous history and document it mm. because then you can see uh, the background pain and then the breakthrough pain, just like we do for cancer. That's, that's quite interesting. And with pain, we, we as, as paramedics, we focus on the red flags of, of the, the patient. 
what what kind of red flags were we looking for? Are there, are there any other options for us? Yeah, I mean, I think we all have this fear of missing a red flag. A red flag is an indication of a severe uh, uh, medical problem. Uh, things that we're thinking about is things like infections, sepsis, cancer, autoimmune disease, etc., etc. And that's where the biomedical model focuses on. We, 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 we dread missing a red flag, you know, because that's the way we are trained. And it's almost uh, induces us to practice uh, defensive medicine. But besides the red flags, there are uh, uh, four other flags um, which have been based on, on treatment of chronic back pain. And I think this is a, a, a good checklist if you meet a patient uh, and if you're the isolated practitioner, and they've got a pain problem which you think is acute uh, or perhaps uh, recurrent or even worse, a chronic uh, problem, and they're not getting better despite your interventions, then think about the four other colored flags. So yellow flags are are basically things due to uh, psychological factors, not being able to cope, uh, really uh, 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 quite uh, isolated, no social interactions, loneliness, etc., etc. So yellow flags are psychosocial factors. Uh, Blue flags is work issues. So uh, are they working for an organization that is not very good, like say perhaps in the mining industry or in in a in a farming uh, situation where the money is not good, the the prospects of work and security work not good, the pay is poor, there is no healthcare, there is no PPE, etc., etc. Mm. And then the black flags is is basically th- th- things to cover. Uh, things like the potential for litigation, you know, uh, compensation. So, yeah, I've, I've, I, I, I got a cement burn injury whilst working on the building site. I want some money. Now, they, patients don't say that, but you intuitively know that that is what they're trying to achieve. And the final fourth flag is orange flags, which is basically psychiatric illness. And what it's, what, what that means is that if you've got a, a patient with a comorbidity of a psychiatric illness, that patient is is going to be tougher to manage than one without. So in terms of back pain, which is where this whole concept of obstacles recovery rose, it was was, uh, uh, pointed out that you must exclude your red flags with the disease process, yellow flags with the psychosocial uh, problems, blue flags, which is basically... uh, your work issues, your black flags, which is litigation and money issues, and orange flags, which is your psychiatric issues. So that's a quick check of what is going on in your patient's uh, life to prevent them from recovering. And the the point I'm trying to make is that quite often, if you dig uh, dig deeper into these patients, you'll you'll come uh, come across huge things. Let me give you an example of a 45-year-old ex-warrant officer who uh, set himself on fire and was on the burns unit uh, in my hospital. And when, I, uh, when he, uh, I saw him in the pain clinic some months after the burn, I looked at the uh, different flags. For the red flags, he was physically unfit, poorly nutritional status, 
drug and alcohol abuse. In terms of his yellow factors, he had poor scoping skills, he had poor social support, he was homeless, uh, he was in the process of divorce and depending on his daughter. In terms of uh, the blue flags, he was dependent on social security, he was not earning anything. And in terms of black flags, he was not employed and he was unemployable. Um, and in terms of the orange flags, he was had severe psychiatric comorbidity, deliberate self-harm, suicide attempt, body image problems, spiritually distressed. That is just one patient. Wow. So I think if you if you can if you've got time, uh, I'm not talking about you do this for every acute pain problem. No, for, for God's sake, no. I, I'm talking about the more complex patient. Just ask yourself a question. Have this, has this patient got any other flags? And if so, refer them to the appropriate uh, specialist who can help them. You can't help them. You can't help them with a job. You can't help them with money. You can't help them with psychiatric illness unless it's uh, pr- pretty obvious. And you can't uh, uh, offer them anything than basic psychological uh, care. So I think it's a good triage tool. Uh, it, it helps you identify. It also reduces your frustration and not being able to help these patients. Right. That's helpful. So um, medically, we look at red flags and we need to realize that there's four other colors that can help us with the pain patient. Correct. So, so Winston, let's talk about opioids a bit. So it, it was big uh, in, in, in pain, like, yes, let's use that a lot. And then suddenly it turned into no one's using them and the, the pendulum keeps going back and forth. Where are we at the moment with opioids? Okay, so uh, uh, j- just before I answer that question, Ibrik, I, I need to go back in history to, say, the 1990s. In the 1990s, uh, pharmaceutical companies were chasing each other, trying to develop new opioids to, to replace morphine. And then we had the, uh, the semi-synthetic ones like oxycodone or the synthetic ones like fentanyl and, and its uh, other related compounds. And the, the whole emphasis, emphasis was a translation from cancer medicine, medicine into pain medicine. And the argument was, why should somebody be in pain? Let's give them uh, the, the proper medication. And if it's severe pain, let's give them an opioid. And that was good. Uh, everybody felt better. There was a, uh, a very famous uh, palliative care cancer specialist called Portnoy from New York, who, um, you know, uh, uh, represented the, the medical world and so, sort of saying uh, 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 nobody should be in pain and therefore let's have a liberal use of opioids. Two things happened. The first thing is the, uh, the proliferation of prescriptions for opioids. Uh, thanks uh, to that, the pharmaceutical companies made a lot of money and they generated CBD points, uh, really trying to sell their drugs. So it became a a, a, a very uh, sort of um, rapid uh, uh, increase in the use of opioids. We then became aware that there were problems of drug diversion, drug dependency, drug addiction, criminality, but there were more sinister ones, just like the impact of chronic opioid therapy on your mental state, mm. chronic opioid therapy on testosterone production. So in a male who is chronically opioid dependent, uh, the testosterone sh- shuts down and the actual testicle shrinks. So you lose your testosterone cover. And, and when you know that testosterone uh, has an impact on nearly every cell in the body, 
let alone your cardiac muscle, your muscle, your bone, your, your cognitive functioning, etc., etc., we then began to realize that there was a problem. And this included immune suppression. You know, we think about constipation, we think about all those kind of things, but actually immune suppression, immunosuppression is a big price to pay for somebody who's on, on a chronic uh, opioid therapy. So the evidence has gone against opioid uh, opioids, and we're continuously looking for non-opioid um, uh, interventions uh, mm. like mindfulness, like CBT, uh, j just being nice to the patient, just talking therapies, for example. So uh, that is why uh, the pendulum has swung the wrong, uh, the, I say the opposite way, the, not the wrong way, but I, d I still don't think we have uh, appreciated where that pendulum is, is, is uh, spectrum is going to swing either for or against opioids. So I, I think the jury is out at the moment. So let's talk about non-drug choices. You, you just mentioned that. Can you dive a little deeper yeah. into those options? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, one of the most important uh, non-drug choices is the uh, practitioner explaining, reassuring the patient in an acute pain situation. Uh, more uh, other therapies uh, that include relaxation or hip hypnosis, imagery, for example, uh, children having uh, burn dressing changes usually uh, uh, are, are managed by imagery or by distraction, uh, importance of biofeedback. We know that cling film uh, applied longitudinally to a uh, to a burn wound uh, reduces the allodynia from uh, from from a burn injury. Uh, the use of mirrors for phantom uh, limb sensation and phantom limb pains is another one. You've got tens, you've got uh, cold, you've got acupuncture, you've got high uh, fidelity ultrasound, physiotherapy, massage, the application of heat and cold, uh, mindfulness is now the number one treatment for chronic pain. Wow. And if you think about it, what it does is, if you think about the pain pathways, you've got a pain uh, coming from the, from the injured area through the nerve into the spinal cord, up the spinal thalamic tract to the thalamus, and then projects to the somatosensory cortex that tells you the pain's coming from your big toe. But from the thalamus, there's also uh, um, a connection with the reticular activating system and that sets off the autonomic nervous system usually the sympathetic and the endocrine system so you've got the quick response of the nervous system and particularly the autonomic sympathetic part of it and then you've got the slower bit which is the endocrine system those mm. two systems contribute to stress and if that stress is chronic that leads to ACEs in children, and that leads to poor outcome as they get older. So there, it's it, it's it's a great it's a great um, uh, interlink or web between what happens to a patient, the psychological, physiological, and the pathophysiological impact of being in pain. And then there's one more that really um, uh, tickled me. Uh, uh, being a Catholic, there was an Italian study that threw uh, 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 Catholic patients and asked them to pray and meditate and whilst they were undergoing an MRI scan. And the, uh, those that, that practice it could actually suppress the pain, uh, uh, pain imaging 
compared to, to those who, do, uh, who don't. So I, I, hmm. I think besides your drugs, your non-drug choices, and I've listed explanation reassurance as my number one, you can do a lot for your patient, even if for those few seconds that you may be in contact with them. You know, just explaining, I'm sending you to hospital because of this. Because you've got such a big burn, we need to do this. So it is actually stating the, 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 the obvious, but in terms that the patient understands uh, that, uh, in, 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 uh, that may uh, contribute to the analgesic effect. And the other thing is, if you're a nice practitioner, empathetic, that has a good relationship with your patient, you can then use the placebo response, which has got no side effects, to try and and uh, and and calm the the pain uh, impact uh, without drugs. And if you mm. think about it, the placebo response can be uh, be, be about a thirty percent reduction in in pain scores. So that's even before you start, you can actually reduce it by just being a good empathetic practitioner who uses the placebo response by giving confident information. You've got this, I'm going to do this, and this is why I'm doing this, and this is what's going to happen, and you are going to get better. I'm going to take good care of you. That, that, that's, that, that, that is just as effective as anything else. We should teach this more. This should be higher up in the, the, the learning for paramedics and remote medics because it's such a, an easy thing to, to use. Yeah, I think it's the experienced ones who probably appreciate it more because I think the the, the more junior ones uh, are more uh, orientated on red flags. Hmm. And of course, we we just throw ketamine at, at pain and not look at the red flags. Look at the, the the five five different colors of flags, and we don't look at possibly a non drug choice, especially in austere environments, we don't have that many vials of ketamine or midazolam, and maybe we sh our first rung of the ladder should be a non-drug choice for pain management. Thank you, Winston, for uh, another podcast, and I look forward to seeing you again. This has been a presentation from the College of Remote and Offshore Medicine. If you would like to earn CPD credits for this podcast, you can join the Council of Members. Being a member of the college gives you free CPD credit free access to our virtual field guide and discounts on our e-learning courses. You can join the team on our college website at quorum.edu.mt.